It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. All right, happy hump day, all you Gamecock fans and others out there listening. J.C. Sherbert here with you Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Appreciate you listening. Hope uh, hope you enjoyed Monday's episode. We sort of got topical on a broader sense with the Pac-12 player boycott uh, and all that stuff. Um, lots going on in college football in that regard. Also, hope you enjoyed J.C. and Morgan uh, my national college football podcast with Mike Morgan from ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's weekly. Get it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Um, check it out. You know, Mike and I have good guests. We had Phil Steele, Cole Kubelik, Kubelik sorry, <laughs> uh, Tim Brando uh, over the summer, uh, Chris Doring. Uh, lots of good guests, and then also Mike and I break it down like no other. This week's episode went a little long because there's just so much to talk about from a topical standpoint, um, and we keep getting back to this, and uh, this is the first thing I want to address on the podcast because I looked at some of the reviews on iTunes, and I appreciate each and every one of you going there, um, and some of the complaints about some things I do on this podcast had to do with politics, and, and I want to explain that real quick. I follow politics. I have obviously way too smart not to have my own political beliefs and all that. And I'd say they're somewhere in the middle, maybe leaning towards the right in some of the bigger topics we see. Um, Not a far lefty, not a far righty. Uh, But that's not what you guys listen to, to me for uh, on on this podcast. I, I had a politics or sports show that's actually on hiatus uh, with Joel Sawyer, the POS show, you know, where I could talk about stuff like that. And if you guys wanted to hear that, you know, you'd have subscribed to that. It's on hiatus right now because we both get busy. It's an election year for Joel. And uh, obviously with all the stuff going on with the Gamecocks and college football, I'm pretty busy myself. Um, so so I want to say I understand that. And, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and give you a, a politically tinged manifesto about all the rights and wrongs in the world while you're wanting to listen to the Gamecocks. I understand that, you know, the reason we do these Gamecock podcasts is because the Gamecock market is severely underserved with talk radio and things like that, especially outside Columbia, and especially if you don't live in the state. Uh, and right now, unfortunately, unlike the Steve Spurrier era uh, and the Lou Holtz era, it's, it's hard to hear anything about South Carolina. I mean, we had to ask – on J.C. and Morgan, we had to ask Phil Steele specifically about the Gamecocks. And that's, you know, when you go four and eight and all that. Um, and, and, and in this playoff world where there's really four to eight teams that get all the attention, you know, that's bound to happen. So, so my goal is to serve you guys, the Gamecock fans, and to talk about the Gamecocks. That said, we're in a time right now where we've got all these debates on whether or not to have a season – you had the Pac-12 player demands and all that. And, and those are politically tinged issues. And so I feel like I have to address those. Um, I'm not going to address them all the time, but, you know, it, it wouldn't be a, a much service just to say, ah, oh, well, let's break down the depth chart for the 40th time, you know, um, and ignore what's going on out there. So um, I want to say don't worry. It's not going to, this is not a political podcast. If I wanted to do that, I'd just re, we'd revitalize the POS show or I'd start my own JC on politics podcast. 
Um, but that's just not what, that's not my purpose. You know, politics are more of a hobby of mine. Um, I do pay attention uh, to what's going on in the world just because it's, you know, I don't like to live in a bubble. <clears throat> um, I like to actually get both sides of an issue and, and think about it and all that. And had I done that and paid more attention back in college, I, I could have probably gotten like a master's in political science or something or PhD. Um, but I, I just don't feel like that's, you know, what you guys listen to me for, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and go through the Gary Patterson thing like we did on JC and Morgan yesterday. But uh, again, anything that's politically tense is going to directly relate to Gamecocks, uh, to the Gamecocks and, and the topic at hand. Um, so I wanted to go through uh, all that. Um, and to start with, I'll tell you this, Connecticut, UConn did cancel their season early this morning, right before the Big Ten released its schedule. Um, and I want to say this, number one, anyone sitting there looking at UConn and the situation they're in, I think there's reasons beyond the coronavirus that they canceled their season. They were going independent this year. They uh, are going to have trouble scheduling games. That, that program is hemorrhaging money. Um, don't, I mean, the athletic director was like, it's about safety. I, yeah, come on, let's, I declare, I'm going to declare shenanigans on that one. Um, and it's funny cause that they announced that in the big 10, 45 minutes later, after wild speculation yesterday that they were going to cancel their season. Um, I think they just didn't want to release a schedule on the same day. One of their member institutions had 28 guys. They had to quarantine at Rutgers. Um, they released their schedule. So, um, it looks like things are still tracking toward the beginning of a season, no guarantees, and uh, we'll continue to track that. The SEC, uh, at least the opponents, we're, we're expecting today. John Whittle had a, a report yesterday that it was today. Uh, could be Thursday. I, I hope it's today, and I'm kind of surprised that, that the gears of the SEC have not been turning a, in a little more – um, productive clip behind the scenes that, you know, I think that, you know, the idea was, well, the SEC is going to wait as long as possible, but they're going to have contingency plans ready to roll and they're going to know exactly what they're going to do if this happens, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it doesn't look that way. It looks like they've kind of, um, you know, I know they've got models ready, but, you know, it, it kind of looks like there's still some disagreement or, you know, some debate that needs to be had. As to, as to what to do. But hopefully they get the opponents today. Put a poll up on the bigspur.com yesterday about which would you prefer. I think most people will take Auburn and Arkansas and call it a day. There is a, you know, a chance that that will be, you know, a little bit tougher. And, and I think that, you know, I, I, I would be stunned and I would think that it would be a failure uh, of epic proportions. Uh, for a lot of people, if the Gamecocks got Alabama and Auburn, um, that's just not fair. I mean, the, you have the top four teams in the West. That's just not – that's 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 unacceptable. Um, you know, it could get a little easier, though. I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not saying easier. Maybe Ole Miss or Mississippi State ends up being better than Auburn this year. Auburn lost a lot off its defense. They do have Chad Morris uh, coming in to run their offense. you got Bo Nix, a quarterback, a lot of good receivers. Um, you know, so if it's Arkansas and a Mississippi, obviously, you know, I, I think South Carolina roster wise, cause Auburn will probably still have more talent than the Gamecocks roster wise. The Gamecocks can match up with any of those three schools. 
you know, so, but I think the prevailing opinion is probably that the Gamecocks will get Auburn and Arkansas, Um, you know, and maybe it's Auburn and uh, Mississippi, who who knows, and they're going to have to figure all that out. But, you know, that was the overwhelming poll choice. I'm with you guys on that. I think that that's, you know, when you're talking about worst case and best case in terms of strength of schedule and opportunity, win opportunities, um, that's probably the fairest. So hats off to you for not preferring, <laughs> you know, the easiest path. But, you know, at some point, South Carolina, just like it with A&M, you know, South Carolina's going to have to beat Auburn in the SEC. I mean, it's nothing like that really lasts forever. This is not Clemson, Virginia in the ACC. I mean, it, it may not be this year, but, you know, I, I don't think that's a game you look at and go, ah, we're not going to win, you know, throw up your hands. Uh, as it relates to this year's team. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe an announcement later today. Certainly we'll be uh, talking about that on the Big Spur and right back here on this podcast once it gets released. Um, I'll be on uh, JB and Goldwater. Uh, that's a streamed show out of the low country of South Carolina. Uh, you can catch it streaming live on Podbean on YouTube. Um, you can also catch the podcast once they're done on iTunes, JB and Goldwater. It's a great daily show, lots of Gamecock talk, um, other sports talk as well. Uh, those guys are friends of mine. I'm on every Wednesday uh, at around 1230. I'll be on at 1220 today. Um, and we have a fun segment. It's, it's, it's a little more light and funny and all that good stuff. So please tune into that if you get a chance. If not, go back and listen to the pod. Uh, and uh, hear uh, some more hot takes on a lot of things. Um, so, you know, looking at it, I, I think that uh, w- when you're talking about the schedules, if you want to see a conference that protects its big boys, look no further than the virtuous, mighty Big Ten. Um, I'm looking at the schedule that, that they put out today, and it's like, can you just give Ohio State – you know, any more of a clean shot. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, who got screwed? Well, Illinois. <laughs> they didn't even have to play Ohio State before. Now they're opening in Columbus on a Thursday night. <laughs> you know, uh, I look at Minnesota, you know, the up-and-comer in the league, P.J. Fleck, just lost their top receiver who's opting out this year, Rashad Bateman. The Big Ten decides they're going to play Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Nebraska to start the season. They could be a really good football team and start one and four through no fault of their own. Whereas Michigan gets Iowa, Michigan State, that's not easy, but then gets to turn around and play Rutgers and Northwestern back-to-back before Wisconsin and Penn State. So it's kind of – oh, wait a minute. So hold on. Sorry about that. I was reading Maryland's schedule. So Maryland gets Iowa, Michigan State to start off with, and then Rutgers Northwestern, but then Wisconsin, Penn State. So the Terps will be two and four, most likely. Michigan, and yeah, here, here's the protection. They get to start off with the mighty Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, then they play Minnesota, Penn State. That's not easy, but then they get Rutgers, Michigan State, Indiana, And then the game, the Ohio State-Michigan game, is actually October 24th this year. Let's go to Ohio State, okay, the the big dogs in the conference. All right, so here's their draw. 
Illinois, Rutgers, Purdue, Indiana, bye week, Nebraska, Michigan State. Now, then they played Michigan, Maryland, Penn State, Iowa. So three out of their last four games are relatively challenging. But come on, man. I mean, Penn State didn't get all that much protection. They got Northwestern Indiana, then Michigan, Michigan State, and then Rutgers, and then Maryland. So they're four and two at least. I mean, you know, um, Rutgers, I don't I don't even know if Rutgers' schedule matters. Uh, I saw some things where Wisconsin was sort of, you know, in the west of that league that they get a favorable deal. They get Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota. Then they play Maryland, Purdue, in Illinois before they get Michigan, Iowa, and then Rutgers. So they avoid Penn State and Ohio State. Um, so good, good draw for the Badgers and Buckeyes. But I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much fairness top to bottom went into making that schedule. Um, it does seem to me like they were protecting their big dogs because Ohio State normally, historically, they'll maybe have one tough game in their first four. And then they sort of always ease into their conference schedule. So if the SEC does something like that, South Carolina may be completely screwed <laughs> as far as the toughness of the schedule. I mean, they may get Alabama and Auburn. You know, Illinois got Penn State and uh, Ohio State lopped onto their schedule. And so, you know, I, I, I don't uh, I don't put anything past anybody. But we'll find that out pretty soon. Um Wanted to talk a little bit about Luke Doty. Uh, that's been a topic of conversation on the message boards. Um, I am not as maybe forceful with all that as maybe some of my colleagues. And, and here's the deal. Luke Doty's been working out during offseason at wide receiver. So. And he's been in some wide receiver meetings. Uh, and he's been here since the spring working at quarterback. They don't have any designs on moving him to receiver permanently. Um, they're looking for more speed at that position. He's one of the fastest players on the team. So if he can come in and help, uh, you know, that, that's, they're probably going to give him a look. Now, does it make any sense for him to move to receiver and play three snaps a game and burn his red shirt? No. I mean, he's going to have to be one of the best ones. Um, I agree with, with some of the people that say that's an indictment of how they've recruited at receiver. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it probably is. I think anybody would tell you they need more fast guys. But I also think that, you know, you, you got a situation where you got to win this year and you got to get your best players on the field, and there's nothing wrong with that. If indeed he is the best player, I, I'm not panicking about this. Um, and I think Luke Doty absolutely is going to be a quarterback. Uh, it's not like a DeCarry and Joyner situation where, you know, there's some things in his game where you're going to, you know, it just didn't happen for him after two and a half years playing the position in terms of the passing game. You know, Luke Doty's already there. Um, do I think that, you know, when you when you move a quarterback – or I'm sorry, they have not moved him. When, when you got a quarterback repping at receiver – uh, and then you got a guy, you know, you went in and signed a guy that's a transfer from Wingate and Jalen Brooks, who I like, who I think is going to be good, who I think they could really use to be eligible. Um, Optics-wise, does that look like you're stacked at receiver? No. But I think we all knew that. 
I mean, I, I think we all knew that, you know, receiver was a big question mark outside of Shy Smith. I mean, there's just a lot of guys that, that have not been healthy. I mean, you think about it, or Trey Smith, not healthy. Chad Terrell, not healthy. Uh, Randerigas Davis, certainly not healthy. Um, even Shy Smith's been banged up from time to time and played through it. Um, this group, by and large, uh, has been a group that's just not not been able to stay healthy. Um, and then you have guys that have gotten too big, which is the risk you run when you sign 200-plus pound receivers out of high school. Saw this at Georgia. Of course, McClendon didn't recruit receivers at Georgia. He was the running backs coach. But saw this at Georgia a whole lot over the Mark Rick Dare. People wondered why they weren't that good at receiver. Well, they, they, they got guys out of high school that were already 200 pounds that were good for, you know, then – and then all of a sudden they're 220 and you can't run. And what do you do? You make them an H-back, run them. I mean, where do you put those guys? Um, and some guys like that have happened. Now, Kevion Mullins is a guy that came in that way, redshirt freshman this year. Gamecocks have huge question marks as far as depth at tight end goes. Um, and, and so we hear that he's doing pretty well at tight end and, and may surprise some people this year. And that's good because behind Nick Muse, you, you need guys. Um but, you know, the reasons for the receivers not being in good shape are, are many. Um, I, I tend to believe that, you know, someone will step up in, in the history of this program. You know, going into the 2016 season, the Gamecocks didn't have receivers. And, you know, by God, you know, you had a Debo. At the end, by the end of the year, you had Debo, Brian Edwards, uh, and then Chavis Dawkins was your third guy. And they were fine, you know, because, you know, Debo got healthy or whatever. Um, you know, during the Spurrier era, there was always questions, you know, who's going to step up? And so, you know, you you sort of had a guy, you know, 9 it took until game four, but Alshon Jeffrey finally stepped up. Is there an Alshon Jeffrey in the group? I don't think so. But is there a guy that can compliment Shai Smith that can go in there and catch a bunch of balls? Yeah, there's got to be one somewhere. I mean, you're – Obviously, casting a wide net, um, and I don't know if it's Luke Doty or not. I'm I'm not going to sit there and really put a lot of stock into it until I'm told Luke Doty may start at receiver, <laughs> and then when that happens, you know, yeah, you can sit there and, and question it and, and, and all that. And I think it's fine to question it now because I think we live in this world where we imagine future depth charts, and that's fun. And I do the same thing, and it's a lot of fun. And you want to redshirt guys here, there, yonder. Who's the quarterback this year? Who's the quarterback next year? And if Doty's playing receiver this year and burning his redshirt, that destroys that in your mind. <laughs> and so I, I totally get it. Um, same thing with Colin Hill. If he's the starting quarterback, I know that you know everybody's like, well, it's going to be Helensky, you know, obviously. Well, it may not be. Um. And so I know that kind of throws everybody's projections off, and I get it, and it's fun to debate and talk about and all that. I, I don't think anyone is above criticism. I just think that the overwhelming, you know, panic by some on the message board, the big spur is, is a little bit uh, little bit panicky, guys, but um, you can continue to do it. I'm not, you know, if there was a big problem with it, it post wouldn't be on the board, I, I promise you that. But I, I would encourage everyone to – Remain skeptical as to if Luke Doty's really going to be a part 
of this receiving core this year or not. I would I would remain skeptical about it until it happens. You know, it's, it's not an issue until it's an issue um, to discuss and debate. And honest to God, if he's one of the best receivers they've got, is that an indictment? Probably so. But if he can help them win games this year, who really gives a flip? You know, if Luke Doty's going to go out there and catch 50 balls and help the Gamecocks win, who cares? Uh, you know, because it, it could be that, yeah, you know, you had to move him because some other guys didn't step up, but it could be that he's better than those other guys would have been had those guys stepped up. I mean, you never know when you're dealing with that type of athlete. He's very fast and, you know, obviously played a lot of receiver in high school. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, put out the false talking point and because and, nobody's reporting that he's moved to receiver. They've just reported that he's been working some there in the offseason. And, and so there's a big difference. And, and these days when you have uh, articles in the sports world and everywhere else that say, you know, every, everybody just reads the headlines. I can see the headline now, Dude, Doty moving to receiver. That's not nah, that's not quite accurate. He's still a quarterback. He's just done some receiver work this offseason. Nothing wrong with that. And it may even be to the point where he's doing that in case there's an emergency. I mean, think about this, guys. And this is a point that, that nobody's talked about. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, okay? So, you know, Doty's probably the third-string quarterback as of right now. Okay, what happens when your top five receivers all test positive the week of a game and you have to go with some other guys? You're going to need as many guys as possible that know what they're doing. I mean, the receiver's not like a, you know, one-person deal. I mean, you got to have many of them. Um, and so I, I don't know that it's not smart to have as many guys learning as many different positions as they can just because you don't know roster-wise what's going to happen week to week. You got to go play a game. Um, and, and, and then the final point I'll make on this is, is as long as Luke Doty is okay with it, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I think it'd be a different story if, you know, you got a guy that disgruntled, you know, that he's disgruntled because you, you're making him play, you know, if they were making him play receiver or whatever. Uh, all, all these workouts in the offseason are voluntary. I guarantee you, Luke Doty said, hey, I'll go do it. You know, I want to get on the field, maybe, you know, whatever. Uh, it's an emergency deal. Okay, whatever. So um, so that's the deal with that. That's, that's the deal with, with Luke Doty. I still think he's – regardless of where he plays this year, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to be skeptical until I'm not. Uh, I think he's a great quarterback, could very well be the quarterback of the future at South Carolina, could very well be the quarterback in the near future. Um, I think he's that good uh, as a player. Recruiting later today, I think Ontario Brown running back out of Beach High School in Savannah. Georgia's going to announce. Right now, crystal balls point toward the Gamecocks. Uh, last I checked, still a take. Um, really like this guy. I think he's one of the better running backs uh, on the board from the south that they found. Um, different player than Caleb McDowell, who obviously could play – a lot of different spots. He's more of a Brown's more of a true running back. I think he's a find and a steal. I, I really do. I think that you know some people don't recruit Savannah. <laughs> they miss it because you you don't really have 
Um, and this may change uh, because you do have the 2022 linebacker down at Hilton Head. and That's kind of the same area. But sometimes Savannah gets overlooked. And so I think that if uh, you can get one, and I like his film. And, you know, certainly Des Kitchings, the running backs coach, is not a stranger to finding running back talent. Uh, go ahead and sign him up. They need ball players. He's a ball player. So um, that could happen. That, that His announcement is supposed to be later today. Uh, so we'll continue to track that, and I'll have sort of my evaluation of him and, you know, what I think, how he fits in uh, once that does happen. So that will be um, very, very interesting to track, you know, in, for the rest of the cycle in terms of, you know, running back recruiting and, and all that. I think that it's um, it's one of those things. So, you know, we'll kind of see, you know, what happens there uh, with Ontario Brown. Will Muschamp has a press conference later today, which makes me believe that we'll probably know something about the schedule. That, that presser's set for 3 o'clock Eastern on Zoom. Um, so I, I'm believing that uh, – that, uh, you know, there'll be some news before then on the schedule. And uh, he'll talk about that. Of course, the SEC yesterday pushed back fall practice. August 17th is more of a start date. I think that's realistic. You can't practice for 60 days. I mean, I I think six weeks is about all you can practice before you got to go play and, you know, then make your adjustments on the fly. Um, guys just get sick of practicing, you know, that's when, that's when, you know, you're going to have some guys get tired and go to a party and then you're having an outbreak or whatever. So, um, I'm, I'm glad they're kind of tapping the brakes on that a little bit. Cause I, I thought, you know, 60 days worth of practice, even if you spread them out, that's a long, long time. But even when you're trying to install and all that good stuff. So, um, we'll see what happens there. I'm sure Muschamp will lay it all out. Uh, and talk about what they're doing. I mean, they've been working out player-led practices, meetings, stuff like that, but it's not been full go. And so we'll see kind of what happens when it's when it's full go. And, you know, right here we'll track everything depth chart-wise and we'll track, uh, track the practices and the news and injuries and all that good stuff. It'll be good, it'll be good to have uh, a semi-normal semblance of some sort of preseason practice in my opinion, uh, because that's kind of fun when that happens and, and all that good stuff. So hopefully, uh, hopefully when you're, you know, when you're talking about 12 days from now, you know, things are looking good, trending in the right direction, that type of stuff. I still have massive concerns uh, about students coming back uh, and how that relates to football. Um, and I guess it's probably because I didn't trust myself too much, nor my friends when I was in college. Uh, to always do the right thing. And I don't know that I trust 30,000 people to always do the right thing uh, as it relates to being safe against COVID and all that. So that's a concern of mine as far as, you know, athletic. I mean, if you notice in the pros, when, when, when COVID, ha- in the instances COVID has not been an issue, it's been like the NBA and NHL where they're in a bubble, you know, and major league baseball to me, uh, in spite of what, you know, a lot of people panic about like the Marlins and Cardinals or whatever, 
Major League Baseball, to me, has done as, be- as good of a job as they could do because those guys aren't in a bubble. They're going home. They're stopping by Walgreens to pick up something for the wife on the way home. You know, they're not all in a hotel unless they're on the road. You know, they're rocking and rolling just like normal everyday life. And, you know, so for there to be the, the isolated cases, like with the Marlins and Cardinals, um, I think that's a, that's a tribute to the players uh, and the organizations kind of, you know, trying to do the right thing, remaining vigilant, 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 vigilant. That's a cross between a village and diligent. It's like a diligent village. No, um, remaining vigilant, uh, you know, doing the right thing, all that good stuff. But, but I think it also shows you when you look at the Marlins and then look at the Rutgers situation, all it takes is one or two guys and then it spreads. And, and that's the thing about this virus is it spreads. And, and, and that's my concern about, you know, a hundred football players being dumped in the student body. And, uh, yeah, you know, all it takes is one or two guys to kind of be in the wrong place at the wrong time or people getting around them doing the wrong thing. And then, you know, you don't, it catches up with you and 20 people are infected. So that's my concern. I, you know, I, and it's, it's nothing against Caslin and his plan. I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody has a good plan. I just, it, it's not trusting the institution. It's, it's, it's just not trusting 30,000 college kids. And I don't think many of you would either. And if you're a college kid out there, I apologize. I'm, I'm not trying to say you won't do the right thing, but it's a uh, it's a big concern. Um, and that's one of the reasons the SEC isn't starting till September 26 because they they kind of are anticipating this. You know, students get back okay. You know, you've got some situations where some guys test positive, they sit, but they're still ready to go for the season. Um, and I think. If, if if your schools are hell-bent on coming back, which most of the SEC schools are, um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Clemson is doing the right thing in this situation. They're, they're all learning remotely up there until um, the end of September at the earliest, and they start September 12th in football, so they're going to get football off the ground. Um, but if you're hell-bent on doing it, then, then, then I guess that's the way – you need to do it because if you have games scheduled the 5th or the 12th or the 19th, and then you're immediately having to reschedule, you know, that, that kind of shrinks the calendar as well. But, you know, who knows? I, I was listening to the, uh, the That SEC podcast, my friend Michael Bratton. If you just want an SEC podcast where, you know, it's not hard-hitting analysis, uh, it's not super serious, but the guys are informed – um, listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's Mike, and he's got some great takes on things. Mike Bratton, not Mike Morgan. <laughs> That's my podcast. Um, and then his cousin Shane is, is, a, is a Tennessee guy. You know, hey, man. And I, I talked about this uh, earlier this week, um, and I highly recommend it. It's just a real fun, you know, it, it's like – it's like a, a, a benevolent Paul Feinbaum sitting there with one of his listeners and just shooting the breeze. That's not that long. It's about 40 minutes or whatever. So I was listening to them the other day, and I think I may have mentioned this earlier this week, where, where they kind of, kind of came out with a mock SEC schedule. And this was based on the fact that Pac-12, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, the Territorial Cup, 
and USC, UCLA, they're all opening the season. You know, that, those are, that's game one. <laughs> so you're going to play your arch rivals game one. And so their, their point was, well, why not just throw caution to the wind and, you know, play Florida, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, uh, all in that first week. I think Tennessee was playing Kentucky under that scenario. Um, South Carolina was playing at Vanderbilt. And I think most Gamecock fans would be like, ooh, we'll take that. We'll take trip to Nashville game one. Um, and I think that would be interesting. I, I think, you know, also, even though the order has not been determined just yet, I think that the Gamecocks could end up opening with Georgia. Call me crazy. That's a game that traditionally has been an opener or toward the beginning. Um, the first game of the first season in the SEC, South Carolina played Georgia, I think, 92, 93, and 94. South Carolina, all those years opened with Georgia. Uh, Brad Scott's first game was against Georgia. It was 24-21 loss. Um, close game in Columbia. Um, first game ever in the SEC, 28-6 in 92. That was – it was a game where the Gamecocks had Georgia down, I think, 6 nothing at halftime. Then Garrison Hurst, I believe, ran crazy. Second half, they won 28-6. That team started 0-5 and finished really good under Steve Tannehill. Uh, the 93 game, of course, was one of the most infamous games in South Carolina history. The Brandon Bennett over the top uh, as time expired to win 23-21. So there have been some season openers in the past, and it has been kind of an early game, except for November this year. You know, so if you're kind of looking at, at like, what can be an intriguing week one without, you know, blowing your wad on Alabama, Auburn, and all that, you know, South Carolina, Georgia would make a little sense, I, I would think. So, you know, when, when you kind of look at all that, that's – uh that's um, it's one of those things. So, I uh, I could I I don't know. I just kind of sense it. Now they also could do something like the cross division games are like front loaded and back loaded. Of course, there's four of them. So I I don't know. I mean that's uh, you know do do you play? I just don't know. Or, or maybe the additional I don't know the additional games. So maybe they open with Auburn. I don't know. Regardless, you know, unless it's Vanderbilt or Arkansas or maybe one of the Mississippi, I mean, it's, it's going to be a pretty – or Missouri. I, I, I would take Missouri too because that Missouri game was one I was expecting the game cost to win. But um, And that's another one too. You know, you play the Battle of Columbia for week one. You know, who cares? But um, I'm disappointed they haven't figured all that out. I thought for surely we've had months and months and months to understand that this season may not be traditional. You've had months to model it. You've had months to vote secretly on it. I mean, I know maybe you're worried it will leak, but, you know, the bottom line is is that PR-wise, you know, you've kind of been, if you're the SEC, taken to the woodshed on this anyway. Because it looks like you just delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, and you had no plan, you know. Uh, you're the SEC, man. You know, <laughs> step up. Um, but I do think it'll be interesting. I, and I, I'll tell you this, from a pure football fan standpoint, since we're probably all not going to be able to go to games, um, there'll be a select few of us that do. Uh, if anybody out there has any ideas on how to maybe go to an away game 
once all this settles down uh, and we get the schedule and all that, let me know because um, I've got a couple of spots I'd like to hit this year just because I hadn't been. And Heck, if I can spread out and not have to deal with crowds and see a stadium and a ball game, I'm, I think the whole years truly would love to do that. But just from a sitting at home watching college football standpoint, okay, you have an SEC schedule every single week. That's that's most weeks will be seven games. Some weeks it'll be six, maybe less. It doesn't get any better because every week you're going to have an intriguing marquee matchup. Um, you know, every week you're going to have one of the big boys going against the other one, or, or a big boy going against an upstart. There's going to be intrigue this year. Uh, even South Carolina, I mean, you think I just rattled off some potential opening opponents. You know, man, I mean, you know, I, I know if it's Vandy or if it's Missouri or whoever, Arkansas maybe, although you need to get excited about Arkansas because you hadn't played them and got a new coach. Uh, outside of maybe those three, I mean, whoever they open up with, I mean, you know, you tell me you're not going to get excited if they're opening up against Mike Leach, the Pirate. Uh, or Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, or Auburn, or Tennessee, or Georgia, or at Kentucky. I mean, opening at Kentucky to me uh, is very would be very intriguing because you know you lose it that sucks, <laughs> and you could, uh, but you got nine games to kind of put that behind you. But if you win it. All of a sudden, that's too straight against those guys. And you have to start kind of thinking, well, that five-game win streak they had was great and all, but heck, man, you know. <laughs> all of a sudden, the Gamecocks are sitting on two two wins in a row. And, uh, you know, now they're talking about South Carolina being the dark horse in the East and not Kentucky. And you can eliminate the Kentucky narrative uh, in week one because I guess last year – Although that was a pretty resoundingly dominant performance by the Gamecocks, I guess, you know, there's a lot of folks that think, and, and, and there's some validity to this, had Lynn Bowden played quarterback for them, then that's a different Kentucky team, and they may have gone up and down the field and actually won six in a row. Um, I didn't see any signs in that game that they were better than the Gamecocks at all in any phase of the ball game, but – that guy, as we saw with Kentucky football for the rest of the year, was definitely an X factor. I mean, you, you can't uh, you can't deny that. And and that's you know people talk about coaching. That's coaching, man. When when you're ready to go, like, look, you know, this guy we have can't throw the football. The quarterback we have in as a transfer, you know, what do we do well? Well, we can run the ball, and when Lynn's in there in the Wildcat, we tend to move it. Well, let's just play him the whole game. Okay. And then I watched them play Virginia Tech, and man, it was it was a one man show basically on offense for Kentucky. But he was so good, he made everybody else better. Um, and that's Eddie Grand. You know, Eddie Grand. I mentioned him. Gosh, when when they fired Kurt Roper uh, as a potential candidate, and people were like, "Eh, you know." I don't know that at a school where you're behind the eight ball talent wise most of the time compared to your peers. That, that that an Eddie Grant is a bad way to go. And look, he doesn't light it up, but you know he's able to craft something that's workable, if that makes sense. 
and his system is good for passing quarterbacks because he's got a good passing system, and he can use running quarters. You, you can put any kind of quarterback you want in there. Um, I was asked on the bigspur.com the other day, like which, or I wasn't asked personally, it was a thread and I chimed in, you know, what system is the best for the Gamecocks? And the question was about this year's personnel. And the more I see this year's personnel come together and kind of who's going to be doing the playing, the more I think it's, you know, Mike Bobo is probably the best, you know, that type of offense is probably the best one to run. Big picture wise, when you're talking about, you know, the Gamecocks as a program taking any coach out of it. You know, if you're just looking at South Carolina as a blank slate, uh, I said something like Mullen runs at Florida and ran at Mississippi state. Uh, And then my number two choice would be Eddie Grant. And that is if you're not going to go uh, all systems go like, like if, if you hired Bobby Bentley as your offensive coordinator, obviously Bobby's got a system. It's very similar to Gus Malzahn's probably, a little more sophisticated in the passing game and, and not so much in the running game, but they're very similar tempo kind of thing. If you're not going to go do that or do kind of what LSU did last year and throw caution to the wind, uh, and you just want something that year to year will allow you to be, you know, competitive and put enough points on the board to be kind of hard to stop. To me, it's Mullen uh, and then the Eddie Grand system. Um, if that's, you know, people want to know that now. Who knows, you know, and, and I think things like, you know, what Leach runs may or may not work. Uh, I think, though, when you think about what kind of quarterbacks you can really attract at South Carolina, and maybe it doesn't matter, um, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, having to have a guy that can really get into a rhythm and all that. Well, there's guys like that out there. But then also, you know, despite the current situation at USC, you should always have plenty of receivers and you can always find backs and stuff like that. So maybe something like that would work. I tend to believe that, that Mike Leach's system as he runs it um, is a little bit pass happy. Um, they got Kylan Hill this year though. So I'm curious to see how that works out. Cause he's one of the best players in the league at running back. Um, you know, but but something like Bentley runs or Malzahn runs or, or, or Kendall Bryles, you know, Art Bryles has variations of this kind of stuff, the Bryles offense, but also is a big into running game, you know, big into running game. I don't know. It, it's a good conversation to have and, and all that. But they're running the Mike Bobo offense this year. How about that? Which I think is going to have a lot of pro-style elements, but it's going to be – you know, diverse in terms of getting the ball in their playmakers' hands. And, and I think a lot is on him as a play caller down to down making the right calls. Um, you know, I, I think that he can do that. You know, he's a good play caller. Um, probably the definitely the best they've had as far as being able to call it and haul it and, you know, get things done, you know, regardless of who the quarterback is. So we'll see. See what happens with uh, Bobo and the offense this year. We'll see what happens with the schedule later today. Of course, Ontario Brown um, committing later today, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Lots of stuff to look for. Please go keep those uh, reviews on iTunes coming. I appreciate each and every one of you for putting them in there, even the ones that did not rate me very high. Um, And I I hope that those that, that maybe didn't give that high of a rating but were like, enjoy it, but don't get political, 
Um, you know, I hope that you guys listen to me at the beginning of the show and kind of see where I'm coming from on that. This is not going to be, you know, Sean Hannity or, or anything like that or Rachel Maddow or whatever. Um, it, it's totally focused on the Gamecocks. It's just that there have been some things that directly impact the Gamecocks uh, that we've talked about. So and I felt like I had to address both, you know, here and uh, elsewhere. But hopefully hopefully all this is over soon and we can just get back to talking about football and all that. We'll have all that depth chart breakdowns, personnel, all that good stuff. All right, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. Hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday. Be sure to check me out. If you get this here, it's what, 1119. If you get this in the next hour, check out JB and Goldwater. Um, If you miss it, go subscribe to their podcast because they replay their show there every day. It's a great show. Also, another podcast recommendation, um, I would go with the Late Kick Extra by Josh Pate. Uh, on 24-7 Sports, but we know Josh Pate, he was a guest here last week, um, superstar, uh, and he takes his live show that he does um, and puts it on the podcast, and then he has one show a week where it's podcast only. Uh, so go check him out on iTunes as well, the Late Kick Extra, if you want like a broad – if you want something broad beyond J.C. and Morgan for just college football, be sure to check Josh out. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, Again, thank you for tuning in. This has been Inside the Game Cast with J.C. Sherbert. Have a wonderful day.